In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, we're placing our hands on either side of our face and screaming real loud. We're remaking Home Alone. And my guests are Cassie Soliday, Valerie Vasilas, and Matthew Willits. So, friends, first of all, did I pronounce your names correctly? Uh, no, but it's okay. Damn it. Ah! <sighs> So, friends, is Home Alone a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? I knew it would mess it up. I believe it will be remade. Thank you. It's, it seems that it is being remade, though. Does it need to be? Well, I think we don't know how it's going to turn out, but I know that our version is going to be great. Uh, I am looking up the new version, by the way, the pre-production Home Alone, and it does say that it's going to be a movie. I'm okay, but I'm confused because I think the most recent one came out in like the early 2000s or something. Like, so are they remaking, are they rebooting this entire franchise of Home Alone or, but then what is there to be rebooted? Because there was a Home Alone TV series, but that was in 2017 and it just says released. And it looks like that might even be a horror movie. Oh. Oh, that's yeah, it's uh, suggest this one be when night falls and you're the only one at home. The coziest of houses can transform into a sinister, unfamiliar labyrinth. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but this is different. Okay, and then I think Home Alone three came out in 1997. Loved it, and the video game was released in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's about as good as it's going to get. So for the most part, it's 1990, which is funny because it just occurs to me that the movie I did last, uh, the last episode was Pretty Woman, which also came out in 1990. Oh, there's a theme going on. Yeah. December is 1990 month here at Ideal Remake. Also, this might come (laughs) out in January. I haven't done the math. (laughs) But how's everybody doing uh, today? Uh, More or less feeling good. Yeah, good. Just so good. Thank you all for being uh, my guest. So let's start with, when was the first time you saw Home Alone? Yesterday. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Then Cassie, let's get into this. What are your okay. like, fresh new thoughts on seeing this movie you'd never seen before? Well, I had seen clips before, but very short clips. So, um, and I've always heard people reference it a lot. And it felt like I'd seen it, you know, from the references. But in watching it, I was like, wow, I've never seen this full movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I really loved it. I really love the uh, the power music when, uh, you know, Kevin's like super determined. I love that. And I've heard a lot of complaints about the movie. And I don't I don't agree with them because I feel like the beginning really thoroughly set up a lot. You know, I think that's a great takeaway. I'm glad you enjoyed it. What are the complaints you're talking about? Yeah, um, some of the complaints I've heard is like, are like um, loopholes in the story and stuff like that. But there's like some really subtle things in the beginning. And one thing I thought was interesting, though, is that like, because we know that his mom is desperately trying to get back to him, that like, I didn't completely connect with his, oh, my God, my family disappeared because I made the wish, uh, like through line. Because, like, I knew they were trying to get back to him, even though I was worried about him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing I thought was interesting too, because as a filmmaker, you make those decisions, right? Whether to like let the audience be in his perspective or have this omniscient, omniscient, I don't know how to say it, omniscient viewpoint. So yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that's the right uh, uh, phrasing. There's also, there's, I mean, there's so many videos and things about this movie, but I know there's uh, some popular ones that talk about how, like they're like all the little setups and how the reason why at the beginning the the flight attendant counting them in as they're going into the airport didn't say hey there's an extra ticket here is there's the moment when he spills milk or whatever all over the counter the dad accidentally picks up Kevin's ticket and throws it in the trash and it's like it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing mm-hmm. but uh Matthew when did you first see Home Alone I can't remember I must have been quite young I couldn't give you an exact date. Is, is this a, like a cherished childhood movie or it was like, I saw that. And then you kind of moved on with your life. I remember liking it. I don't remember loving it. It didn't, it wasn't one That's that I fair. like held close to my heart, like Jurassic Park, you know? Fair. How young were you when you first saw <laughs> Jurassic Park? Um, I don't know. Five or six. Wow. When I was five or six, my parents tried to show me Jurassic Park. I screamed at the beginning when the dude got pulled into the truck and then they never tried to show me anything scary again. Aww. Well, I think I've told you guys before. My dad then went on to show me The Shining at far too young. Oh age, so. no! <laughs> that's uh, that's not the worst childhood movie story I've ever heard on this podcast, but it's pretty bad. I mean, what a point A to point B! What a jump! Yeah. I'm thankful. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is your aesthetic in adulthood, so (laughs) yeah, (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) Totally. Uh, And Valerie, when did you first see Home Alone? So uh, after you asked Cassie that question, or after you asked that question and Cassie answered first, I'm trying to remember because I think I saw Home Alone 2 first, because that's the one where that like recorder came in and everyone wanted that recorder, that handheld thing, right? That That Talkman or whatever. You guys know what I'm Oh man, is any Oh yeah. Matthew, Cassie, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Well that... Cassie just saw the first one yesterday, so I doubt it. Oh, okay. But um yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it, it was that thing. It was uh, the talk back or something. Anyway, uh but I, I know that one. I remember that one. But then I, I think I saw Home Alone like if I saw it when it first came out, I definitely don't remember it. I guess it did not make a lasting impact on my life. But having rewatched it I I can now appreciate a lot of the subtleties that are happening in there like uh <laughs> like um like John Candy man <laughs> like as a kid like that's a forgettable thing but as an adult you're like whoa wow John Candy was the polka king <laughs> so good <laughs> So for me, (laughs) this is only actually the second time I've ever seen Home Alone. The first time I saw Home Alone and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York was a couple years ago. I've mentioned this a couple times on the show before. Like I, my background in watching movies is terrible. Like there's so many things I just hadn't seen. And especially growing up in a Jewish household, we don't really watch Christmas movies because why would we? That's silly. And because Home Alone is sort of a Christmas movie, that's why we're talking about it today. It just never came up. And so I moved out to California and I had some friends who did like movie nights of movies Sam hasn't seen. And the two Home Alones were movies that came up 
and needed needed to be viewed. And what were what were your impressions? Macaulay Culkin's really good. He's so like good. like as like that is the gold standard for child actors. <laughs> it's uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, I can see that, especially in the nineties. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like really precocious, oh, they just say fun things like child actors. And that's amazing. But like, just like the nuance and like the eyes and the emotion, it was all there. And I think he does a good job. And I think this movie's super fun. I think there's a lot of little cheesy elements in it, but I think that's kind of what contributes to its charm. And I think that's the most that can be said of this movie is that it is extremely charming. Uh, mm-hmm. And then especially you get, further into the movie and you're like john candy is in this movie i also get to see john candy (laughs) so exciting that's how i felt about also seeing Catherine o'hara and because like (laughs) it's just funny because i just finished schitt's creek and the thing that the same person that the moira rose is the same person that uh you know kevin is kevin's mom like i don't know it's that that versatility is really fun I could definitely see Moira Rose in an airport complaining about not being able to get a ticket, but I can't see her For doing sure. that in order to get back to her child that was left alone. Yeah. <laughs> the most impressive thing about this movie to me in adulthood is its tone. How so? Well, it's so completely ludicrous and should be absolutely terrifying that there are these two grown men breaking into this house and they manage to play it just right. Where I agree. It like... It is goofy, but they still manage to kind of at times make them scary when they need to be, but they also are Looney Tunes when they need to be. Yeah, they're they're the trope of the uh, the comic villains. It's like Jesse and James who are in Team Rocket, like that. Right, but in live action. Like right, like they're they're a threat, but they're also silly. I did like that their faces weren't reset, like after each of the um, kind of pranks that uh, Kevin did at them, like the iron to the face and the burning on the head, like it didn't just go away afterwards, like it would in a cartoon or an even goofier movie, you know? That's true. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that helped them not be so scary or, you know, the situation be so scary is because you kept seeing Kevin get the better of them and it's physically still on them right but at the same time how scary is that that he stabbed someone with a hot poker (laughs) yes right no my my big cringe was the nail on the step yeah that that's a physical that is a physical guttural reaction (laughs) that one's especially tough for me because i've sort of done that um Growing up in the desert, you don't run around. You, you you learn to not run around barefoot outside, and sometimes you learn by stepping on a giant uh, cactus needle. Uh-huh. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's not good. But I I I actually take it back. The biggest nope for me is the tarantula because <laughs> absolutely not. Like like even as like a performer or anything, if I have to be anywhere near a spider, I'm out. That that's it. This is really awkward, Sam, but I was about to offer you a role in my next movie. But it does require that you get spiders all over you. Uh, pass. Hard pass. Yeah. I'm out. I'll find somebody else, I guess. Uh, I am. I have absolutely no interest in playing spiders, man. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'm not one. 
I'm not giving you a laugh. You won't be in my spider movie. No, Spider's Man was my dream. <laughs> this is what CGI is for. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so Valerie and Matthew, because this is a movie you both had seen before, Matthew, it sounds like this isn't really a movie that you come back to, but Valerie, is it a movie for you that you come back to and rewatch every now and again? Uh, oh, like a childhood movie? Yeah. Um, I... I think so. I'm trying to, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Like, I was fed a healthy diet of Disney movies. Because, like, I think your parents and my parents are, are similar, Sam, and that it was like, we can't expose the child to, to <laughs> terrible things, to terrible influences. Disney is safe. Uh, so it was like, it was a steady stream of that stuff. And so, like... I don't know. It's if I ever do like the movies that I do find when I'm like when I have time to go watch something that's not a current television show. Uh, I always end up going to to Disney Plus and like going back into those those uh, archives. Basically, I mean, I did watch this movie on Disney Plus. It's true. Yes, that is. But it like it, it wouldn't be the one that I'd go to. Like I'd be like, mm, what is there to watch? Let's go ahead and watch. Uh, Let's go ahead and watch me some Home Alone. I haven't seen that in a while. That's uh, fair. Like, what What was it? I think one that I want to see again would be a Goofy movie. That was one that I was I loved. And I don't, I think it was that, like, it, it was, oh, yeah. Because the, the, there were just some some fun catchphrases in there. Uh, like like the the cheese whiz guy. And he's like, yeah, it's that's... the leaning tower of cheese. <laughs> it's. Literally, that is the quote from that movie. It is the only quote from that movie that I could that I could say to you. <laughs> like as a kid, that was it. Like that was what I wanted. And then, like I would go, I would like beg my mom, my dad, or my dad to get me like a can of cheese whiz so I can like do it at home and like oh, no. make my sister laugh or like take it to school and make my friends laugh. That was my dream. That's very on brand for you, Valerie. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, I was going to try to smoothly transition into this, but I guess uh, I guess now's a good time to do this. Of why don't you tell us a little bit? Say your name so we know who's talking when and what you do. Let's start with Matthew. Uh, hello, Ideal Remake listeners. My name is Matthew Willits. Uh, I have been messing around with film since I was 14 years old. Uh, I've been living in Los Angeles since 2018. I have a master's of fine arts in film production and I voice act. Cool. Cassie. Uh, I'm Cassie Soliday and I'm a writer in TV animation and uh, I'm wearing pajama bottoms. So I feel like that's qualification right there. Hell yeah. I am also wearing pajama bottoms. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> They are Guinness beer themed. Ooh. And Mine are mermaid skills. Ooh. Mine have mm-hmm. we, we both make excellent life choices. Best life ever. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie? Uh, I'm Valerie Vasilis. I am wearing sweatpants, uh, sweatpant bottoms that I've been wearing for like mm, two days in a row. Um, yeah. yeah. I thought that I invented improv when I was in college. So that's how I got into comedy. Uh, 
so um, to my surprise, turns out it's been around for a hot minute. Turns out everyone can make things up on a stage. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I've been in LA since 2012. Um, I'm a writer. I do improv. I also do sketch, uh, sketch comedy. And uh, I also produce uh, digital, short form digital sketch videos. Love it. And they're very good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is true. They are very good. Thank you. So then my next question is this. Let's, we're, so we're going to start by remaking Home Alone. What is the essence of Home Alone? What is the spirit of this movie that you think that we need to really try and recapture? Uh, I want to answer first. I think that the essence of this movie is like uh, a kid. It's, it's, it's about, it's about the kid. I think it's, I know like there's that family element. I think that family element is like for like the older people rewatching it or something. But like, I think for, for kids, for a kid audience, this is about a kid like striking out, like overcoming their fears and becoming like strong, independent problem solvers. Cause like you went from a kid who like was relying on his, his mommy and his daddy for everything. Like pack my suitcase. I don't know how to pack for a thing to like, you know, he caught some burglars. <laughs> An unusually brilliant child who is able to do all of this and just inherently knows how. Yes. Cassie, Matthew, what do you, what do you think the spark behind Home Alone is? I would have to agree with the problem solving of it, but I mean, uh, one thing that I found really interesting was like the ideal Christmas mixed with the kind of suburban kind of droll, you know, because like when he's walking down the street or going to the store, it's like really not magical. <laughs> so I found that bipolar or uh, what's, what's a I better can't. word? I don't know. Those parallels. Very interesting. But yeah, I feel like the root of it is always going to be uh, the kid. Yeah, I'll just throw at everything they're saying. It's it's like a delightful coming-of-age movie that uh, the only other thing is I'll reiterate the tone and the fun and walking <laughs> that trapeze wire. I think I agree with that. I think for me, it's the it, in the very much realm of lots of John Hughes movies, John Hughes very much treads in wish fulfillment. And I think there are a lot of... like especially at the time they were like, like the ideas, Oh man, wouldn't it be great if I got to be home by myself and I didn't have all these rules. Cause it, I, like they're the John Hughes movies that are aimed at teenagers, but this one, even though I think it's a lot of fun to watch as an adult and we still identify with the child, even though they have all these other adults in the movie, I think it's more about this kid getting to live this fantasy of a getting to be completely independent and on their own. They get to be the hero and they get to, be like save the day with the crazy old man next door it's like three different levels of child wish fulfillment and i i just think that it's just about finding that that thing that you always wanted to do when you were six years old and being able to do it what was that thing for you good question (laughs) uh what was that thing for me i mean i was just like I was the kid that would alternatively like, I, I mean, I'm still this dude now that's like, I want to go hang out with all my friends. Oh no, I'm with all my friends. I want to go back home. <laughs> and it's just like finding a healthy balance of that. 
Like I'm like I legitimately am trying to decide. Like I was never the I want to go to Disneyland kid. I was never the I want to go run around outside kid. I was like I'm perfectly happy playing in here with my toys or playing video games all day. I was not a cool child. This thanks Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> so quarantine must be pretty good for you then. In that case, this no, because I need to have friends to go hang out with so that I can leave. So you want to be home? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's just been a constant state of I want to go hang out with other people and none of that now I want to be home. I haven't wanted to be home for nine months. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a good question though, Matthew. Let's let's turn it around. What do you think? What does the kid who watches Jurassic Park and The Shining then want to do? Other than obviously open up a, an abandoned house in the middle of a dinosaur island. I don't know. As a child, I played outside a lot. I, I, don't, I don't know that I had big kid dreams. I, I kind of just got to go out and hang out with the neighborhood kids, and yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that I have any unfulfilled child dreams. I mean, being a superhero would have been nice, but that's probably my unfulfilled child dream. Well, I mean, if Pokemon were real, that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll go with that. Definitely wishing, not a... wishing Pokemon were real. Cool, seconded, thirty, <laughs> and Cassie in with the veto. No, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so then. I mean, I'm not going to make everyone relive their childhood hopes and fantasies. So then what are we going to do? Presumably, we're remaking this movie and presumably we're setting it now. Can this movie even work now in a world with cell phones, for example? Like, part of the part of some of the conceit of this movie is just like people couldn't contact each other. The phone lines were down. The power was out. But like with cell phones, all of that's kind of out the window. Well, you also have to realize, too, airports are different. Like, the mom can't necessarily, you know, stroll around up to counters and demand that she gets a... She can't can't try to barter or bargain with a couple to stay in France for two days more. You know, that doesn't exist anymore. So the problem solving of the mom is different as well. So That's true. So, like, I I think that this movie can be remade and done in a way that, like, is adapted for the present times. It's just, it, it's probably just not going to be, like, tit for tat, like, then this happens and then this happens. Like, this is, this is the scene, this is the church scene where the old man and the kid are watching the choir. Like, I don't know if, like, the kid would be, like, okay with that, but I'm, but I know that that scene exists, that scene can still exist in this remake just not in the same way, if that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Yeah, and I feel like things like cell phones, I mean, you could, it's like in writing this movie, it's completely like the kid's uh, prerogative in it is that it's always problem solving, right? So mm-hmm. when you think of like, how could he get out of this? You just figure out a way to complicate that. I mean, you also have to take into account too, like this kid, Kevin McAllister in the movie is eight years old. Like, I, would an eight-year-old have their own cell phone at this age? Probably not. So, I think, I think you would be surprised, especially a family that appears to be as wealthy as they are. Like, we're not talking about it, but this family is loaded. Yeah, that's true. And they also talk, kind of seem like the sort of family that aren't cool people rich. They're they're not cool people rich. Can you define cool person rich? Uh, I, I cannot. And that is and that is why they must be eaten. 
But like, so even if we presume that an eight-year-old Kevin McAllister does have a cell phone, like I think a workaround for that would be, I mean, he's acting up at the beginning of the movie and his punishment could be that the mom takes his cell phone from him and puts it in her purse. And then it's not until they finally get to France and she tries to call the phone and her purse rings. There you go. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we can get around not having cell phones. And then I think a fun thing could be like, he doesn't have a cell phone and this is a household without a landline. Or it could even be, even if it is a landline, you know, in the age of, you know, 2020, who memorizes anyone's phone numbers anymore? That's true. So, well, I mean, well, she'd be calling the house and like. Yeah, but remember, remember there was a storm and so the power lines went down because on their way out, remember on their way out to the vans, the the guy was like, oh, the the telephone lines are still down. She's like, I don't care. And then they got into a van and went off. (laughs) Right. I remember, and I and I think that that's that's one of like the the tricks and the conceits of the movie to make it work. And so I'm trying to come up with our version of it. Okay, because in our version, I don't think a tree is going to take out the telephone lines. Truth. Okay. Certainly not for days at a time. But could take out power outage, like where where internet's down. Could do that. Could do that. I mean, I've certainly been living in parts of LA where like internet's gone down for a couple of days and people are like, I don't know what I'm going to do. How do I live my life? (laughs) (laughs) This is that, those are the dark times. It is. But yeah, like just, I guess just even dealing with the conceit of getting to a point where this movie can happen. What else do we need to do? Well, would this still take place in Chicago? Good question. Um, Yes. But only because I'm biased. Personally. <laughs> there. I want to scroll there. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie, do you have a pitch of an alternate city? Um, I might pitch something where, I mean, granted, this is only because it's 2020 and I don't know what, like, I don't like this. Uh, I know that it would be in the suburbs and I don't know if they're, uh, I was like thinking something more. So like it would, it could still, it still could and probably should be in the Midwest, but I was thinking like Minnesota or something where like you could be in like a suburban area with a big old house and like, it would be, you could still have a boatload of money. I don't know. <laughs> uh in Arizona, I mean like in Arizona, right? Like you could have like a th- a, a two a giant three-story house and for under a million dollars in like uh in like Scottsdale or something. But I don't know if it'd be take place in Oh, you know what? It could take place in Scottsdale and there could be a scene where like the kid is hanging out at at the pool. Arizona Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I I like Chicago in that it, it Chicago has these elements of being small town and still also being a big city where you can get back and forth from the city center in your house just by walking for five to 10 minutes. Okay. I see that. And I, I mean, I'm not that familiar with other areas of, um, of the country or the world really, but like even in Los Angeles, I don't know how comfortable I feel with having just a random kid walking around for 10 minutes. And granted, this is 30 years hence, but still. I have a, I have a question. I'm going to put on Go for my, my big producer hat and ask the question of why do you think this movie would resonate with audiences today? Apart from the IP, just having clout come with it and nostalgia, why do you think 2021 is the time to make a new Home Alone movie? So for me, I think part of 
what makes this movie magical and what makes this movie stand the test of time like it has is that it is capturing that childlike spirit and capturing kind of that the joy and the exploration and figuring the world out as a child and i i think that's good and i think that's important and i think that now 2021 is a very different world than it was in 1990 and so i think it's important for especially for people who are kind of like haven't been children for 20 30 40 50 years to kind of see what the world is like and kind of like see how a kid now today learns to go and deal with issues. Like we might not be able to have a coffee can full of cash sitting in the older brother's room. We might have a kid who finds a credit card. We might have other ways in which a child experiences the world that were completely foreign to children 30 years ago. And I think that that's important and worthwhile when you're trying to kind of connect to children away or find or find a way for adults to kind of remember or even understand what it's like to be a kid right now. And that's why I think remaking this movie now would be appropriate. I'll give you the money, kid. <laughs> Unless anyone has anything they'd like to add or contribute to that. Yeah, I agree with what you said, but I was also thinking uh, as you were talking how I feel like this is universal no matter what year it is, where like when you're in a crowd of people or if you have a big family, like I didn't grow up with a big family, but my husband did. Well, he had like a big extended family at least. And there's so much hustle and bustle. It's hard to kind of know who you are when like there's so much happening around you. So like the need for independence and the coming of age portion, I, I feel like that is just a good reminder no matter no matter when it is. <laughs> I agree with that. I also did not grow up in a big family. And quite frankly, watching the McAllisters all be together in that house, for me, felt incredibly claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Like I, I grew up in a household with my two parents, my sister, that's it. And me, I guess. And <laughs> And just having that many kids and people in a single household seems like hell for me legitimately but like i grew up in a household where everyone would be like all right we've had dinner and then we would all go to our separate rooms like we've never been like a family activities kind of thing we would do family vacations and trips and everything but we're all a fairly independent family and just like the the idea of that many people all together all at once is it's a lot i was gonna say like i feel at the beginning of the movie it sets up really well that kevin is just another one of their kids like when the the teenage girl is counting he's just another head to be counted even though he wasn't there and by the end everyone was seeking him out and seeing him for who he was and i think that's an important piece to remember too i agree and then they get home and then they all leave they're like oh kevin i'm gonna go to my room (laughs) (laughs) I think that's more of a storytelling device to get him to like engage with the window and see what's happening with his neighbor. But it doesn't make sense. I give that to you. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I agree with you. But hopefully that does answer your question, Matthew, in terms of why we should make this movie. So let me turn that back around on the three of you. We're remaking home alone. It's happening. Uh, The uh, investor that Matthew was portraying who gave us the money kid it gave us the money. We now need to make this movie. What are the important pieces for you that need to be in our remake? Let's go with Valerie. Uh, okay. I would say important elements 
I mean, obviously, obviously the casting has to be on point, but uh, as long as it's got that spirit of like the kid who, because it's going to be an adaptation and a reboot. So, you know, as long as it's got that, the spirit of that kid basically like striking out and independently solving solving their problems and problems of, you know, that the adult of, you know, the old man neighbor, as long as it's got those elements, it can be adapted for, you know, 2020, 2021. Yeah. Uh, That's what I'm asking. So you are adapting it. You're that person. Yeah. What are you going to do? Okay. Wait. So how do you, how do you mean? Like, help me, help me like funnel this down a little bit. All right, so we're remaking this movie. And for me, it's important that we have kind of like like the saw elements of like these crazy traps that he's setting for the burglars. Like I, I think those sorts of things are important, but I also think it's important that some of them get a little bit more monetized and digitized and other sorts of stuff. I like the idea of him playing with technology. And I also like the idea, especially if the, uh, the burglars are a little bit older, of this child like so many other children in our lives are so much better with technology that than we are, which isn't even something that was at play in the 1990 movie, but it could absolutely be at play here. And it's a fun kind of twist on the idea, especially in a household there, a house of this size, so many different aspects of it would be automated or set to timers, like sprinkler systems, garbage disposals, lights, all these sorts of things. People have apps for all of that speaker systems, and just a kid who knows how to work all of that mm-hmm. and use that to his advantage can go full smart house on some people who really, truly great movie don't come from that kind of privilege or know what's happening. Exactly. And so I would say, I mean, like I would say, for example, there would 100% be a drone in this. <laughs> uh, yes. I would, yeah, like I would say like the whole, the smart house element uh, seconded Matthew, excellent movie. But like, I would say like, yes, the kid, there's that. But then also like, I I do like the element of the traps still being pretty like, uh, or at least like the bulk of the traps being as like, as simple as, you know, like the blowtorch one where, you know, that one didn't take any, any sort of like, any sort of technology, it was just like pulling the door open, which ignited, which, you know, pulled the lever, which shot the blowtorch. But also, also like that family had a blowtorch in their house. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point that I'd never considered. Don't you? (laughs) I I mean, only for special occasions. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, Cassie, what what are some elements that you think we're remaking this movie? What what's something that you want to put in this movie? What's a set piece or an idea or something that you want to make sure is in this movie that we're remaking our version? Well, I would want to push it more. Like we, we already know that all the situations work, and even if they're updated to today, I mean, I think you could really uh, push the comedy more, the slapstickness of it. I'd like to see more females in it, <laughs> other than the mother. And the sister, I think, yeah, I think it's just leveling all that up and really going all out. I, I, I kind of think about like the Ghostbusters original and then the reboot with like the women, like doing the opposite gender would be really fun, but also just um, the way they like, it was a new situation, right? Like it would be kind of nice to have just like a whole new situation, not even use like uh, the, the same names or anything and it, it be in a different neighborhood and all that. 
like just having that separation, I think would be really fun for it to kind of be its own thing, but still in the spirit of the original. I like that. I love that. Matthew, what do you think? Uh, Yeah, I can't add too much. I think that the traps have to be right. I think number one, the casting for Kevin has to be right because he's just, I mean, Macaulay Culkin is just a gym and uh, can anyone else live up to that? So one of the things that I was doing when I was doing my recasting is I was like, well, clearly I think like I was doing some research and I found, oh yes, this kid, this is the kid that has to be in it. The problem is, is that that kid is the one who actually has the part and is going to be Kevin McAllister in the remake. So (laughs) because of that, I was like, well, I decided to go a different way and finding kids that are this young that are already well known is really difficult. And uh, so I ended up going, I did end up doing a gender flip. And that's not necessarily to say that this is who we'll end up going with, but that's kind of the, the idea I had in my mind when I was going through and doing my casting and kind of coming up with my ideas of just like kind of playing with different tropes and the expectation of the, the familial unit, because the other thing that is this, just like most of John Hughes's other movies is so very white. Yeah. And so one of the other elements that I played with is that for the, the mom and the dad, this is not their first marriage. This is a remarriage. And so the, the abundance of children is that these are children coming from two separate marriages together. I love that. And I think that that's important, especially because it's kind of, especially where that can kind of contribute to the, the hostility at the beginning of the movie. Cause that's kind of a trope of the night of late eighties, nineties movies is that like, ah, oh, our families, we're always fighting with our siblings. And that's certainly true for some of us, but not for all of us. But I think we can also like, well, we're it, this is a new family. We're still kind of sort of feeling each other out, I think is a very real element and something that can and should be explored. Agreed. Yeah. And yeah. like, that's also, that's also like, it, it, it's another, it's another really great adaptation for for, you know, the modern age where it's like, you know, the traditional family unit doesn't really exist. There's not, or I mean, like, it's, it's just not all that. I don't know. I guess. Good job, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then let me lead into a question. This is good. I'm going to do a small question. Then I'll do a big question. The small question is in the first version, John Candy, it's amazing, shows up and he's the polka king of the Midwest or Minnesota or whatever he was. When we have our version of Gus Polinsky, what is this character going to be? Because Polka King seems outdated. What is this ragtag band of people who, with really sad backstories, going to be doing and traveling around for? Like, why are they traveling around at Christmas time? My recasting was an improv troupe going to an improv festival. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that might be your 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 pitch, Valerie. <laughs> I I would have been surprised if that was not your pitch. <laughs> On brand. <laughs> it's true. Uh, my, my casting will also work for that, but uh, Cassie and Matthew, like, what are you thinking? Like, in terms of what what is, why is Gus Polinsky there? Like, I was thinking uh, yodeling, because I do like that it's random, and I feel like, the polka king like it was random and and very irreverent in the 90s like polka was not a huge thing then so kind of staying in and i feel like improv still fits that <laughs> just 
because the majority of the population don't know about it. But yeah, I would say yodeling. I I, I love the idea of yodeling or improv. I I mean, uh, given the it. option, I would probably vote for yodeling. But uh, either one are great. Yeah. Great. I mean, I think either one works. And I think you can give the backstory of like, this is the thing they do every year because they don't necessarily have families to spend the holidays with. But they get to like once a year, they get to come back together and share this moment with each other. And it's the one time a year that they get to spend it with this kind of like their holidays family. And so it's sad, but also sweet, you know, like John Candy, but as a person. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then that brings me to the burglars. Like in terms of the burglars, they're just kind of the wet bandits. They're going around stealing kaleidoscopes from random houses. Because, oh man, gonna fence all the kaleidoscopes. What are they doing now? Like in the world? Yeah, well, I still think they should be burglars and they should be in there robbing. But especially if all these fam And is it just like they're going around robbing an affluent part of town? Oh, wait, I need clarification on this question, though. Do you mean like the the criminals from the original movie? Like, what what are they doing now in that same timeline? Or do you mean the criminals in our remake? In our remake. Okay. Uh, and the answer could very easily be they're doing the exact same thing. Burglars going to burgle and they're just kind of like bumbling oafish people who are like, well, yeah, we'll look at all these rich people. Let's take their stuff. But in a time now when I'm perfectly happy with, Hey, look at all these rich people. Let's take their stuff. So what do we do? Were they specifically stealing kaleidoscope or telescopes in the first? So there's a moment when they're in one of the first houses when uh, the, the mom calls and, they hear, oh, we're the McAllisters. We're out of town. Can you go check on Kevin? And and they're just kind of like sitting and playing around with some of the stuff they're stealing from the house. And Joe Pesci is literally just sitting in the middle of the ground looking into a kaleidoscope. Hey, just to, you know, just, uh, he didn't have the five ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh boy, what did Santa bring you this year? Something that'll be fun for three minutes and then never again. I mean, given... Given the slapsticky nature of the bandits, I think it's totally fine for them to still burgle, same as always. Because, I mean, yes, I guess, you know, in 2020, we're all about eating the rich, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, I think it, I think it's still fine for them to just burgle. Um, I mean, I wouldn't add anything to it, or I wouldn't, I don't, I, I personally wouldn't have much to change on it. I, I would. I don't have any ideas for that. I think that's fair. I think that's reasonable. I don't necessarily have anything to change either, other than this time they also take computers. But like, yeah, I don't know. I I I think that's just one of those things that's a constant. No one wants to have their stuff took. That's a universal. <laughs> like so, but so then let's also talk about the old man. The old man is a very very sweet element, and that when I was watching this also felt very current and up to date. Like it's a story that's 30 years old, but I think it's still very much the same story can be said today. There are lots of stories of people who like, they have a fight with a friend or a family member and then they don't speak for years at a time. It happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that that's current and appropriate. And that's also something that I kind of like as is. Wouldn't change a thing. So then let's talk about some of the things that we do want to change. Let's go through and let's talk about some aspects of the movie that didn't quite work so well for us. Like what are some elements that we would like to see not be like that? It, I, I'm happy to give you a, a moment to, to think of something, but <laughs> for me, 
I honestly, like, I know it, like, part of the way this movie works is because the family is so big and legitimately you won't, like, if you have 12 kids, if there's 11 of them, you won't notice a difference. And I think that that's kind of an aspect of the way this movie works. So as much as I would like them to have less children, and I certainly didn't cast that many children, I think that's unfortunately something that needs to stay. And now, of course, I'm blanking on my own question. Things that you'd want to change. I would say that if I were going to remake this movie in isolation, I think the only way you could uh, do it, this would be a shocker, is to do it as a thriller. Oh, so you want to you want to change the genre entirely? I would I would change. Yes. So you do want to make this? But that's song? not what we're here for. Not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, it still captures that childlike innocence, and then you know extracts it. I guess. I think something that I would personally like to change in my remake would be like, yes, I think that they should be, um, I would rather put them in upper middle class rather than wealthy. It was, uh, and maybe and it, it that, that was just a, the part that was one of the things where I was like, ah, oh, that, that, uh, man, now I like, I don't know. I don't feel bad because like money solves all of their problems. And so I would, and so I feel like in my remake or I would like to see a situation where like the family, for example, would have to get around like, uh, I, I, I don't know. Like I would say like, you know, bargaining, bargaining to like get back on the plane couldn't be solved with just like, here's like, well, here's $500 and my earrings and my, you know, like, I, I think there could just be more, more comedy involved rather than throwing money at the situation as far as being stuck in Paris. I mean, do you want to send them to Paris still or do you want to send them somewhere else? I didn't think that far in my remake. <laughs> I, I think we could easily send them somewhere that is flyable because again, part of the uh, conceit of the movie is they're so far away that it is going to take them days to get back. Yes. And I think you could just as easily like steal something from Groundhog Day where they're going to New York or someplace or wherever and they get snowed in. It's wintertime and mm-hmm. they literally cannot get out. You could still achieve that in a layover as well so that the audience is like, oh, they're going to go to Paris. Nothing was changed, but they do have a layover in New York and then they get snowed in so that at least they could still get back to where they need to go eventually. But I was actually thinking, um, Newfoundland, because I think you could get from there to Canada in a boat pretty recently, mm. if I'm remembering the map right. Uh, and then That's you could go to Canada and then maybe to, you know, Minnesota, like Valerie said earlier. Yeah, they, they end up uh, Prince Edward Island because they, they wanted to go and meet the docile deer, <laughs> which is a real thing that's up there because Canada's yeah. great. I love that idea of they get stranded somewhere that doesn't have airports. Like they can't just fly back and they they're stuck on a boat and a boat can't, a boat can't sail through ice. I think that's a great idea. Newfoundland is a, is a really cool idea. Also something that bothered me is Kevin McAllister never locked his house when he left. (laughs) I mean, that really bothered me. That really made me mad. (laughs) You like, fear for him more and how innocently dumb that he was in doing that though yes <laughs> yeah that kid is so lucky yeah i did i do think that in a remake they should really push the heart 
because um, maybe they did steal a few things or it's in their van now or because it shouldn't matter. Because, like, I don't remember Kevin saying, like, he said that this is my house. I got to protect it or something. But, like, Mm -hmm. it should be this is where my fam. this is where I have my memories with my family. All this stuff is their stuff. They don't exist anymore. Like really pushed down on his wish was the reason they're not there. And that's why he has to protect it. Like it just heightens his why more. And then at the end, I would like have the mom be like, the stuff doesn't matter. I'm just glad you're okay. Like I would want that kind of heart pushed and added. All right, Cassie, I've got a weird question for you. Since uh, the movie as it exists now, like, goes to great lengths t- to explain everything and to keep things very realistic. If we're doing a remake, would you want to go into a realm of magical realism where it is that Kevin McAllister got his wish and we, like, as soon as the family leaves and Kevin's not with them, they're gone until he talks to Santa to get them back? I think that's a really fun angle. I hadn't thought about that. I like that he thinks, I do like that he thinks that his wish is what made them disappear. And I would be interested to see a, like, see a movie where it was in his perspective, but then maybe at some point we, we find out that, oh no, his family, his family is on the way back because they found out. And then they let you in on the secret, you know, that it's just his perspective his uh, point of view but that would be really interesting I, I could see like a kind of ending like Coraline where they show up not remembering that they were gone but like they yeah. they were clearly not in this world you know I think that there's an I, I think I like parts of that I think I like the idea of spending a good chunk of time with just Kevin and not cutting back and forth because mm-hmm. the family has gone as of like 20 minutes into the movie Like, I would spend the next half an hour with just Kevin, kind of figuring it out, dealing with all these things and, like, all of that. And then at the 45, 50-minute mark, then we cut away and go, oh, no, they're desperately trying to get home because they realized he's not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if they would have to do a rewind to show you how they could possibly forget him. Because, like, I think that's why they didn't do it in this movie is because, like, you wouldn't believe that that would be possible because who would forget one of the their younger children you know or their youngest child right yeah like that would that buy-in would be harder to achieve i think yeah but not impossible though it's an interesting idea though something to play with and i don't know where i land on it but i i like that you kind of had brought it up yeah um but yeah then what what other elements do we need to play with in terms of like re- recrafting this movie and kind of figuring out uh what we need what other pieces are we missing i think foundational blocks that sounds like it to me i mean making sure that it has the heart and a focus on character and really i might end up pushing this too much but i would love to see i take it back there's nothing i would love to see edit this out So the movie as it exists now kind of really relies on this this mother-son relationship of like, oh, she's this caring mother. Obviously, she loves him. She's going to get across the world in order to get back to her son. And I think that that's valid. But I also think it's like we also have this element in the original movie of like the dad being like, he's on his own. He'll be fine. And I'm sorry, but no. Like, like the fact that only the mom cares about this person and this member of their family i don't think 
that's valid. I think it needs to be the entire family getting back and even more so making sure that they themselves then don't get split up. Because basically the, the, the impetus of this movie is that Kevin is on his own and then the mom is on her own and the rest of the family is like, yeah, we took back the flight that you wanted to skip. And it's like, they're so blasé about the fact that two members of the family were like abandoned and yeah, everything was fine. But what if it wasn't, they don't know that he was like, fighting off robbers in the middle of this house for me i think there will also be more elements of comedy if it's this entire family trying to figure a way for all of them to not only get back to kevin but also stay completely together because the last thing they want to do is lose someone else i like that there's also that that means yeah there's there's more opportunities for for like um more hijinks, I guess, on their end. So that way it, it can be, it can, I mean, like, I know that the main focus is is Kevin McAllister, but like it does give the family an opportunity to have more comedy should we want to, you know, play around with that. So that way, yeah. like, for example, because like, I don't know, to me, to me, one of the reasons why I didn't cast all the kids, because like, I don't know, they didn't do anything. They're just like throwaway one-liners yeah they're literally there to be a distraction and for there to be so many of them that they don't notice one is missing yeah so like there's there's just more more room if if it becomes more if if the whole family is involved instead of just the mom yeah i mean i still also cast like the aunt and the uncle just like to bring more kids into it because a family of 12 kids is too many kids but like i I also just can't think of that many kid actors. Yeah, I can only I can only Google child actors for so long before uh, they will come and take me away. <laughs> and quite frankly, they will be right to do so. I I mentioned it on this show, but like I, part of I like I did a stretch of like two or three movies in a row where I was like looking for child actors, and like I was like you can only Google child actors children who are eight years old and like uh, it just you just feel like a terrible human being (laughs) i don't like it so yeah so that that i think is something that will be a big change from the original movie but i think i think it's important to a make this movie feel more distinct and a make it feel more realistic because i think everyone should care about kevin and that and that i think will be the thematic time from the beginning of the movie of it's this family that's come that's coming together and they're kind of like at edge because it's a new family. But I think also like when we show that every single one of them cared about this poor missing kid that got left behind, I think that's kind of the thematic point that we need because I think part of the end of the movie now as it exists, when they all go off into their own rooms and leave Kevin alone again, kind of means that they don't learn anything. And Quite frankly, they didn't learn anything because all this happens again in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. (laughs) Well, I think all of this is kind of contingent on what we decide that Kevin's personal problem is, right? Okay. So what do you think Kevin's personal problem is? I don't have immediate answers. (laughs) I'm just thinking, you know, because it's like in the first one, it's, it's kind of like he's just kind of a kid. Like he's a little bit of a jerk. But he's not overly so. He's funny. He doesn't really yeah. have a personal. He doesn't have like a, an interpersonal problem, I suppose. No, that's incorrect. I'm gonna want you to cut so much of this. Um, he he doesn't have <laughs> he, like his his issue he, is he has, left alone. That's it. Yeah, he has he has youngest child syndrome of 
he wants just as much ten- attention as everybody else, but everyone else is tired. They're like, we've been through all this. We know this is new for you, but come on, kid, figure it out. We did. And he like he wants the attention. He wants to be paid attention to. And so like he acts out and also like resents the fact that they resent him. So- it means that families shouldn't have this many kids. It's really what I'm saying. But here, here is my soapbox. Stop having children, America. No problem. <laughs> so, what's Kevin's major malfunction, guys? And how can that tie into everything? I mean, his relationship with his mom, with the rest of his family, the hijinks. Cassie, Valerie, first thoughts. I don't have any. Yeah, I don't know yet. Well, for me, I just, I think, and I didn't do this as well with the casting but i think that we we have two full families that are coming together and i think that it's just this kid who doesn't know how to deal with things that are different like this kid is eight years old and they kind of had a set system and and path and now it's different and they are adjusting poorly it's like all of these parents who keep complaining, like, we we understand that it's more dangerous, but we need the schools to be open because kids can't be, ironically, home alone this much. And it's a new city, new person, new this, new that. And they just, it's just new and different and she's, or he's not coping well. So Kevin's trying to find his place through this integration. Yes. Love it. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. That slaps. <laughs> Where do I fit in? Yeah. What, 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 and even more so, especially for a family this big, what do I contribute? Does this family even need me? Like, it's a, you can do a whole, uh, the, the, uh, you would all be just fine. Like, it could be the reverse wish of, um, I wish I was never born or I wish I never existed because I'm not bringing anything to this family. If you're all, if you all don't need me, why am I even here to begin with? We're getting real sad now. I'm going to start having some real opinions soon. (laughs) But yeah, it's like we can kind of take the original idea of I wish you were all gone to I wish I was gone. And then you can kind of play with the both idea of like the wish worked on both sides. They're both kind of playing around with like maybe the wish really came true. And they're both kind of playing around with that. But uh, but yeah, I also don't necessarily want to want there to be like actual magical realism in this movie. But for kids, they'll believe anything. What's uh, what's the line that Marv says? Kids are kids are as scared. Kids are stupid. Whatever he says. Yeah, I think it was kids are stupid. I think that that's important. I think that's a good thematic thing for us for our movie. So, Cassie, would you like to get into casting now, and everyone else also? <laughs> yes. I I think we need to start with our lead, with our Kevin, or. Uh, whatever female version of the name Kevin is, but I can go first for this uh, first one. So for me, perfect casting for this role, the the actor that I wanted to go with is a young kid named Archie Yates. Mm-hmm. Archie Yates is the, the best friend from Jojo rabbit. It's not Jojo. It's Jojo's friend. And he's just this adorable little kid. And if you guys haven't seen Jojo rabbit, you absolutely need to, cause it's amazing. Yeah, he did. Oh, dude, I love that kid. Yeah, he's so good. And I was like, oh my God, this kid would be perfect. So perfect, in fact, that he has the role. Like, he is the new Kevin. 
Well-deserved, Archie Yates. Yeah, it's like, I, I got no problems with that. That's good casting. Absolutely, I'm on board. So I was like, all right, since that's already it, I'm not just going to go with the one they did because that's easy. So I found an actress who has only been in one thing so far. Uh, and it's one of the, uh, it's one of those John Cena comedies. She's in a movie called Playing With Fire. Her name is Finley Rose Slater. Finley is spelled F-I-N-L-E-Y, if you have any interest in looking her up. And she's just a cute little girl. She's going to be just about the right age. And uh, she's in a comedy movie, so she can do the comedy and sweet, good expressions. And I thought that that would be uh, a fun choice for this. So my, my choice is Finley Rose Slater. Cassie, who did you have for the role of Kevin? Um, Chloe Coleman. She was the little girl in My Spy. I think she's hilarious. I'm looking her up. Oh, yeah. I remember looking. Uh, I remember doing some research. She is currently 12. Yeah, she's a little older. Like, all the kid actors I know of are pretty much already too old for this role. Because by the time I see them, like, they're already, like, <laughs> like, a year to two years older than they are on screen. Yeah, so that's, that's one thing about child actors that's really hard. Um, yeah, that, that's the problem I kept running into. Like, I, I had the hardest time recasting Kevin because, like, mm-hmm. you're looking for you're looking for someone who is no longer that. Like, any movie you see this year, they had to be five in the movie for it to be work to, for it to yeah. work. I did. Like, oh, go ahead. It's tough. No, no, I was gonna say this one's really tough because presumably we still want kevin to be eight because once a kid's 12 like you kind of lose a little bit of that magic and belief mm-hmm. definitely but like she's she's very good but i just i mean she's 12 she's out of the game i know that's hollywood uh valerie who did you have for uh kevin okay so first of all you just made me look this up so even though in the movie kevin McAllister is eight years old macaulay culkin was 10 when they shot it Okay, that's fair. Uh-huh. Good pull. <laughs> but I ran into the same problem as Cassie. And I know, I know in your rules you said, I know in your rules you said only pick one, but I was torn between two. So. All right, tell us about them. Okay, so one is Daphne Keene. Every, everyone loves Daphne Keene. She's great. She comes up on the show all the time. She's so great. Uh, and yeah. um, like, she's 15, she's 15, but you know. Right, I know, I know. She'll be, she'll be 16 in a couple of weeks. Oh, I thought she was 14, going on 15. No, oh. absolutely not. Okay. You're, you're, you're watching too much, uh, too, too much Golden Compass. Gotcha. Well, in any, in any case, um, she's just really charismatic and has like a lot of energy to any role that she brings in. So I was like, oh, that would be perfect. But, but also, having recently watched Jingle Jangle, I love Madeline Mills who played Journey Jangle. She's the granddaughter. <laughs> She's the granddaughter with the cogs in her hair. I haven't seen this movie. I don't really watch Christmas movies. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't really watch them anymore, except I love musical movies because they're depend- – like, either they're good or they're cheesy and campy, like cats. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's cute. It's really cute. But anyway, uh, but Madeline Mills is – so she was actually she she was on Broadway first. So she's she's twelve years old, but she is she was on in School of Rock on Broadway, and then they cast her for this. 
Um, but mm-hmm. she, so she's also got a lot of energy. She's, she's got like, I, I don't, I don't know. She, she's got, she's got energy. She's got uh, comedic timing and I just really wa- enjoyed watching her. So I was like, that'd be cool. I, I could see her. Yeah. I think that's a good pull. Again, she's 12, but, uh, but, it, but she is a good choice. And I think that uh, all of your logic makes sense. And uh, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Matthew, who did you have? I don't know child actors, so I just said Jacob Trimbley because he's super famous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's the actual ideal casting. I just know that that's a child actor who exists. Uh, uh, I, he, he is indeed. I want to point out that the majority of us cast females. Yeah. That I didn't even think about the fact that Jacob Tremblay is the first uh, little boy that we've uh, come up with. He's 14 either way, but still. Well, he's younger than Daphne Keene, so. <laughs> that is accurate. <laughs> this is tough because part of, like, I think in a perfect world, if they were all the same age, I think Madeline Mills would be the, play- it would be the actress I would want to go with. But I think part of, what I, I think part of Home Alone is is it does need to be a kid and not like a teen or a preteen or anything because there's just that, that element of hope and belief and joy that comes from someone being that young that I think is important. And I think all things being equal and all their ages being right, I would have probably gone with Madeline Mills. But I think just because, especially because we had such a hard time finding someone, is... If we can find someone better who kind of captures that Macaulay Culkin spirit, great. But I feel like we kind of have to go with Finley Rose Slater, just mostly for the age thing. All right. All right. But let's do the bandits next. Let's talk about Harry, the Joe Pesci character. Um, Cassie, why don't you go first for this one? So I would say Tim Robinson. Tim Robinson. Tell us why. Well, I mean, so... Can I go ahead and save my other criminal? Because, like, they're a duo uh, from the Detroiters, and they just have a really great um, give and take. That's fine. We, we, yeah, let, let's do these two at the same time. Tell, okay. tell, us, tell me about so, your Harry and your Mark. Yeah, so uh, Tim Robinson and Sam Richardson. And I feel like them being an already established comedy duo will just, in, like, enhance the, their, um, their relationship and their, <laughs> and their uh, yeah, give and take on screen. Um, but Tim Robinson would be the Pesci character, basically. Like, they're both really funny dudes, and uh, they both can play zany as well as straight. Although Tim is probably, like, the the incredibly stupid one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. So I picked them for that background, and I thought it'd be really fun to... Um, like, they have a lot of really physical comedy, and they will pretty much do anything with their bodies to get a laugh. <laughs> and <laughs> I think they could really make it weird and really um, dark, but still digestible, you know? Yeah, good. I think that's reasonable and fair. Valerie, who did you have for Harry and Marv? For Harry, I had Ali Wong. Ooh. And for Marv, I had Tiffany Haddish. Tell us why. So I I am a fan of Ali Wong. I love her. I love her stand up. I love 
the I was going to name the movie that I now can't say I now forget, which is why now I look like I'm not a fan of Ali Wong. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, what is it? Always be my yes, always be my maybe. There we go, there we go. So uh, because because she's she's so she's so smart, but she's also not afraid to get like loud and ugly. Uh, and so, cause, cause, cause these two characters rely on slapstick and physical comedy and she's not afraid to, to get there. Like, uh, or at least like in anything I've seen her do uh, as a performer, she just, she's, she's crass, but also very smart. And so I was, and so Harry, you know, Joe Pesci is the, is the brains of the outfit. So, so I, I pictured Ali Wong in that role. And then for for Tiffany Haddish, she is also someone who is down for a laugh. She's always the one who, or not always the one, but no. So um, no, so so Tiffany Haddish is always like big and loud and and like and physical, and so and so and she always plays like she always plays these big characters, and so I can totally imagine her. I mean, granted, I know we don't want to have irons landing on your head, but I can totally see her getting uh like playing playing with an iron on getting falling on her head <laughs> <laughs> or or like or like seeing a tarantula on on Joe Pesci and like beating the crap out of him <laughs> fair, good, I like it. Uh, fun. Matthew, who did you have for, uh, for our burglars? All right. So stay with me as Harry. I want Eric Andre and as Marv, I want Nathan Fielder. The Nathan for you, dude. Yes. Is and for, for wait, you want Nathan to be the Marv? I do. Because All I right, want... you're going to have to. Okay. T- tell us a little bit about these two or for the listeners who don't know who they are, but also. Nathan's not Nathan Fielder is not a big comic. No, he's incredibly small. And I think that you know Eric Andre and Nathan Fielder have not been in a thing together to my knowledge. I think they're both absolutely hilarious and I love the idea of having Eric Andre play a character that is the mastermind of something but is still obviously inept in his own way. And then going the other way with Marv by having someone who is a bumbling assistant sidekick but it's just so small instead of what Daniel Stern was doing in, in the original with being big and kind of goofy and slapstick. I love the idea that having a Nathan Fielder with these tiny reactions juxtaposed with these ridiculous traps, I think is automatic comedy. That is a wild choice. To be fair, mine is also a wild choice, but going kind of in the opposite direction. So for me, my Harry and Marv, uh, I also did a little bit of a left field choice. My my Marv is Rob McElhaney from Always Sunny in Philadelphia from Mythic Quest. Kind of like, he's kind of the one for one expected choice for Marv, which, so that that's kind of why I went with that. But then I went left field for my Harry. For my Joe Pesci character, I went with someone who's kind of a complete unknown and I know Joe Pesci was already Joe Pesci by the time he was in Home Alone. But for us, I went with a stand-up comedian named Faith Choice. Um, and if you look her up, Faith is spelled like you'd expect. And then Choice is spelled C-H-O-Y-C-E. And she's just a very funny comic. I watched some of her bits and just found her on a different list of good comics. And I was like, ah, well, let's change it up a little bit. And I thought that'd be fun. 
Um, that said, if it were me, I feel like I might go with Cassie's choices. That said, I also think it would be fun to kind of have uh, Sam Richard, Sam Richardson, and Eric Andre. And then have Sam Richardson be Harry and Eric Andre be Marv. But I'm open to anything. Like, would that work for everybody? Um, is Eric Andre black? Yes. Because I don't, like, my thing is I don't think, like, it should be two black people. Just because, like, Good point. they're, like, often, you know, no, portrayed. You're absolutely correct. Like, comedy-wise, right. I do agree but yeah, I think we just got to be conscientious of what we're portraying on screen. No, I think you're right. And I think that's a good, a good flag to throw on the play. And it's also a really good way to make sure we pick both your choices. <laughs> that's not why I brought it up to be clear. <laughs> well, all right. So then let's, let's switch it around. Let's then do, let's do Ali Wong and Sam Richardson. How about that? Yeah. Awesome. I'll call Eric and let him know. So then that brings me to the mom. Valerie, who did you have for uh, the Catherine O'Hara character? Kate. Uh, Melissa McCarthy. Fun choice because of the broad comedy. And you see Catherine O'Hara playing a broad uh, comedic role in this movie. Correct. And also, I um, having not thought too deeply into it, I also, like we were saying, like had uh, plans to expand that role a little bit more into ha- like giving like use utilizing the family a little bit more and so i was like oh hell yeah melissa mccarthy would be dope <laughs> i would support melissa mccarthy if we have the character she per- portrayed in uh saint vincent i thought that was fun um Ooh. but matthew who did you have for kate i think both of the parents are difficult if we're leaning more towards comedy i just i really like chelsea peretti i think she's so funny Chelsea Peretti is very, very funny. But she might be a little young. I don't know. And I'm also not confident about her more dramatic chops. So that's my instinct is Chelsea Peretti, but I I don't, I'm not 100%. Maybe come back to me. All right. So my Catherine O'Hara, my Kate, I kind of went with someone who I could kind of see being kind of the new Catherine O'Hara, who kind of has some of those same comedic chops, although she also has a lot of experience being in dramatic roles, but she was also in like insidious. She's in Mrs. America. I think I first remember seeing her in X-Men first class, but she's also in, she's very, very funny in spy. Uh, so I went with Rose Byrne. Ooh, okay. And I think that she kind of captures the same essence of a concerned mother that we had in the first movie, but who also, can like still do the like the modern versions of comedy and everything that uh, we would expect from her. Cassie, who did you have for for Kate? Maya Rudolph. She she does like being a mom. Yeah, <laughs> that's a <laughs> mothering instinct. Before we cast the mom, who did you all have for the dad? So for Peter Matthew, who did you have for uh, the dad? Pete Holmes. <laughs> all right, you cast a lot of stand-ups. <laughs> Yeah, so what? Which I don't have a problem with. I think that's great. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, as of yet, I haven't had a problem with anyone you've pulled in, except for Pete Holmes, just because people have said he's a bit of a dick. Um, what? I don't know anyone's personal experience with him. Who, but, who yeah. said Pete Holmes is a dick? 
That's kind of his reputation. With who? I can't cite sources, but I have other friends who are comics and they are not big fans of him. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, so that was Matthew. So that means it's my turn. Um, my dad is, I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong. It's written as uh, Jamie Camille, but it might be uh, Jaime Camille. He is the dad on Jane the Virgin. And that's kind of, and so like a mixed race family uh, is kind of the, the idea that I wanted to play with. And so that's why uh, Rose Byrne is kind of who I was thinking for Finley Rose Slater. The fact that they both have a rose in their name is a coincidence, and I take no responsibility for that. <laughs> but that's kind of what I had in mind. Like Rose Byrne would be that, and then she married uh, Jaime Camille, and those are kind of the different families. And that that's kind of the idea I had in my head. Cassie? Uh, John Favreau. John Favreau is great. I love John Favreau. Me too. Uh, Valerie. A great choice. Uh, I, uh, I think um, David Harbour. I don't know who that is. Tell us about David Harbour. Uh, he's, um, he's Jim Hopper in Stranger Things. Uh, he's also Hellboy in the new Hellboy. Ooh. Matthew, how do you feel about that? Like as him as an actor or him in Hellboy? <laughs> oh, wait, like I'm not even, I'm not even going, no, I only said that as like a visual reference for you, Sam. Yes. <laughs> not like, I didn't say that as in like an acting credit to, uh, to commend. <laughs> uh, upon saying that i remember now who he is uh everyone say so so i have rose Byrne and uh, uh uh jaime camille cassie who are your two again your pair uh john favreau and maya rudolph got it matthew who were your pair i can't remember um like i said i, I don't Holmes. know I wasn't particularly sold Pete on Holmes either one, but Pete Holmes and it was uh, Chelsea Peretti. Chelsea Peretti, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was Melissa McCarthy and David Harbour. Um, well, while you're thinking that over, can I diverge for a second? Because I just thought of something plot-wise that I think could be fun. Uh, since we are having it be two families that have come together, what if instead of whatever parent he's biologically related to? Uh, the one who's really trying to get to him and solve the Kevin problem is actually the step parent. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that's good and appropriate. And yes, absolutely. Love it. Yeah. I'm torn because A, I really love the casting of Rose Byrne, but I don't want I don't want it to be two white parents. So I'm tempted to go with Maya Rudolph and I'm not sure who to pair Maya Rudolph with. What, uh, Valerie, say the name of your guy again. David Harbour. All right, let's do Maya Rudolph and David Harbour. What if it was Maya Rudolph and Melissa McCarthy? Tempting. And I like the idea, but that's... Hmm. I mean, that does play with the the blended family bit, too. It does. The only reason why I hesitate to go with Melissa McCarthy in general, not because of this particular pairing is because generally she plays very, very big comedy. And that is not the style of comedy that we have in this movie. That's not to say Maya Rudolph doesn't do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I just think of like extremely broad comedy when I think of Melissa McCarthy. And again, that's why I suggested Melissa McCarthy in St. Vincent, where she's not broad at all. And she's in fact, not particularly funny, but she's just great. Yeah, I mean, she's very uh, subtle in Gilmore Girls, as well as um, not particularly funny in um, 
so what's the name of the movie about like can you ever forgive me yeah can you ever forgive me i'm not opposed to this i mean if if both of you are fighting for the idea i i I will i will yield the floor i mean i went either way so yeah (laughs) like i was just throwing it out there yeah we can do that melissa mccarthy that's fine sure so i sent you my list ahead of time but the only sibling i cast is buzz kind of the bully older brother so the the actor that i had for this role is maurizio lara uh who is a young man who's been in the healing powers of dude and young sheldon and he's in 911 and he's just a, a good young actor and he's the right age and i thought he'd be right for this role um did any of you cast him or any of the other siblings it's fine if the answer is no no I cast Buzz. Oh, I did cast the uh, the the teen girl that was, or the preteen girl that was concerned about Kevin. Ooh, I I do not have her. So I Matthew, her name, Matthew, did you have any of the children? I didn't. No. Okay. So then, Valerie, who did you have for Buzz? Uh, Kiernan Shipka. <laughs> Very good. Mm-hmm. I like she, it. Um, she's in the Black Hood's daughter. Say what that again. That? Super good horror movie. Uh, she's in yeah. smaller horror movie. Just anyone out there if you're looking for a good uh, creep fest. <laughs> yeah, Kieran Shipka is a great choice. I would say at this point, I think she's a little bit too old because she's 21. And that's you cast for Buzz. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I figured, I'm. And she she is 21, but she plays young. So that's why I figured I could get away with it. It's a nice idea, but in this case, let's go with uh, Mauricio Lara. Cassie, who did you have for uh, the older sister? Uh, I had uh, this really talented um, comedian from L.A. named Valerie Vasilis. That's the only one I cast. (laughs) I mean, I love that casting. I think it's super clever. It's a really niche role. Um, What age range does uh, does this actress normally play? I feel that she could probably go down to 16 if uh, the the wardrobe was on point. (laughs) You put me in a tough position here. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. What are you going to do, Sam? Um, Hmm. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear any of this and then cut it in editing. So so Gus Polinsky (laughs) uh, is the John Candy role. Uh, Cassie, who did you have for Gus Polinsky? Uh, Fortune Feinster. I have no idea who that is. Tell me who that is. Uh, she plays one of the nurses on the Mindy Project. She's a stand-up comedian. Fortune Feinster? Yeah, Feinster. F-E-I-M-S-T-E-R, I believe. If you saw oh, her, I think it. you'd recognize her. I, I genuinely have never seen this woman before. Oh my gosh, she's so funny. <laughs> Matthew, who did you have for uh, Gus Polinsky? Uh, June Diane Raphael. She's uh, t- uh, tell me why June Diane Raphael. Because she's so funny, but she also has that kind of warmth that a John Candy does. You're just like, mm-hmm. uh, just whatever scene she's in, if she's playing a delightful character, just will be delightful. And so I love the idea of of her being in that same position of like, of being out there on on the road with. Uh, you know, no other family to spend time with, but just still making the best of it and, and bringing the smile. And I just think that she would nail a role like that. Fun. Valerie, who did you have? 
So I saw this role as more so of a cameo. Um, just like looking back on it now, uh, it was just it, like it was like uh, for for Catherine O'Hare, it was like a deus ex machina. But like for adult audiences, it was like it's John Candy being being John Candy. So I saw it as a cameo. And because I still want it to be an improv troupe, uh, I went with Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> Is Lin-Manuel Miranda known for his improv skills? Uh, he did improv. Oh, neat. And he, he actually hung out with a couple of, like, uh, Nick actually knows him. Uh, well, not, like, knows knows him, but, like, they hung out in, like, improv circles. Like, they would, um, like, he would go, they would meet up at, like, improv festivals and be, like, big old nerds. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah, what That's he goofy. did in um, Supreme Love. Oh, wait. Quest Love Supreme. Yeah, it's basically musical improv, the whole the whole thing. It is. It 100% is. And I think that's how, um, like, I, I don't think they've, I, I mean, granted, I don't know if they've ever been to improv festivals. They probably have. And it was just like, you know, back when I refused to admit that I uh, did not invent it. <laughs> that's a fun choice. Uh, so my choice, I also kind of was thinking in terms of like kind of a cameo. And I was also kind of thinking in terms of like, who is kind of today's John Candy, who shows up in different projects and just pl- kind of plays the same character in each one. But like fits the zone fits the mold of whatever we're watching. And this is an actor who I've, who I've seen in Brooklyn nine, nine he's in, this is the end. He's in pineapple express. He's in friggin' what we do in the shadows. And that's Craig Robinson. And so that's kind of why I was like, yeah, someone who like does a comedy thing, but also like has a lot of heart. And that's kind of why I thought uh, Craig Robinson would be fun. If we're going with a traveling intro- improv troupe, I feel like we have to go with either Craig Robinson or Lin-Manuel Miranda. So I'm going to leave it to Matthew and Cassie. Who do we go with? Okay. My producer head says Lin-Manuel because he just gets more money. And I think he's he probably puts more butts in seats. So that's my cynical answer. Lin, uh, that's a vote for Lin-Manuel Miranda. Cassie, who do you think? I vote for the other person. Great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Robinson. We'll come back to this in a second. Um, I also have my, so my three remaining cast are uncle Frank, aunt Leslie and scary neighbor. Are there any other actor roles that any of you have that are not one of those three? No, that are not one of those three. No. Cool. So then let's do uncle Frank and aunt Leslie together for these two. I went, Oh no, I went first last time. So uh, Cassie, take it over. Matthew, you're up. Uh, Pass. I'll go. No, cool. I don't have one off top. Sorry. V- Valerie, you're up. Uh, I only cast Uncle Frank and I went with Kate Micucci. Love it. Uh, Cassie, who do you have? Uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very fun uh, choice. My two are my Aunt Leslie is Tracy Ellis Ross, and then my Uncle Frank is George Garcia. George Garcia is uh, the guy from Lost. Um, I, d- I didn't watch the show Lost, but that's like, he's the dude from Lost. And that's what everyone like kind of knows him from. And he's a super sweet guy and that. And I just thought he'd be- have fun playing Uncle Frank. He was also in The Wedding Ringer. He's in The Ridiculous Six. And then Tracy Ellis Ross uh, is uh, in Blackish. She's She's in Girlfriends. And I just thought they'd be a fun pair and a fun marriage to kind of like be the the, the comedic couple sidekick, sort of. So, Matthew, because you didn't have someone for this, Wait. that means it's... Okay, well, I'm just going to throw him uh, out there for the uncle. I'm going to say Hannibal Burris because it, it's my ideal world. 
<laughs> all stand-ups all the time. Nothing but stand-ups. All right, cool. So then, <laughs> because we only have Tracy Ellis Ross and Catherine O'Hara for our options for Aunt Leslie, I'm going to say it's Tracy Ellis Ross, because if we put Catherine O'Hara in a Home Alone remake, we can't put Catherine O'Hara in a Home Alone remake, because <laughs> that'll, that'll be a distraction. But I love where your head's at, Cassie. Yeah, well, I love Tracy Ellis Ross, so we good. So that means that, and I'm happy to to step back on George Garcia. Um, So that leaves us with Hannibal Burris, (laughs) Eugene Levy, who I think is too old, and Kate Micucci. How old is Kate Micucci? That's a good question. I think she's in her 30s. I think she is also. She's 40. She is 40. Dang, good for her. I think what I'm going to have us do is I'm going to have us go with Hannibal Burris for this one. Let's go with uh, Hannibal Burris uh, for that. So Hannibal Burris and uh, Tracy Ellis Ross. So then that brings us to The Scary Neighbor. Valerie, who did you have for The Scary Neighbor? Rachel Dratch. Tell us about why (laughs) Rachel Dratch. (laughs) I, I don't know who that is. Tell us about her. Rachel Dratch is, uh, she's uh, an actor, uh, or she was an actor on SNL. Um, she was, uh, oh my gosh, she was. Um, uh, uh, she is John Oliver's wife in Last Week Tonight. His quote unquote wife in Last Week Tonight. Yes. She, and she's also Debbie Downer in SNL. Yes. So I picked her, I know that. In uh, in her book, Girl Walks in, Into a Bar, she said that she's like, oh, I'm always getting cast in these weird, ugly roles. But I'm like, but you're also just so good at them. I'm sorry. You're just so great at, uh, I think that she would make an excellent, like, an excellent neighbor who, like, is scary and off-putting at first, but turns out to be pretty sweet and charming. Yes. That's a fun idea. Uh, my casting for this role is Donald Sutherland. It's very much a one-for-one, one, but I thought Donald Sutherland would be make a, a very good creepy neighbor, especially when he's got, like, the full beard. And if he, he's not all clean, I think that he'd be a, a good choice for the role. But Cassie, who did you have for Scary Neighbor? Uh, Beth Grant. She's uh, Dwight's babysitter slash booty call in the office, as well as uh, one of the executive assistants in the Mindy Project. Fun. Uh, Matthew, who did you have for this role? So I think Donald Sutherland is excellent. Uh, I might change mine to that, but I was going to pitch Bill Murray. <laughs> fun. That's a, that's a fun idea. It might be a little bit of a distraction. Um, I would be torn between Donald Sutherland Just- and Beth Grant. So Valerie, if you had to choose between Donald Sutherland, uh, which Matthew and I fully support and Beth Grant, who Cassie fully supports, who would you go with? Um, I think I would go with Beth Grant. Done. Who was our other option for Gus Polinsky, not Craig Robinson? Who was the, oh yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I still have no idea what to do about that. I I, I just think Lin-Manuel Miranda would also be a bit distracting, but I'm happy to go with that if that's what everyone else wants. I, I think can't that do would be great. What if they were both in the improv troupe? Let's have, yeah, let's have Craig Robinson be the John Candy role. And then just like one of the other people in the troupe and they just like gestures to Lin-Manuel Miranda, just like being sad in the corner without his family. 
(laughs) (laughs) I think that would actually be hilarious. Good idea, Cassie. So that brings us to writer and director. So I have both a separate writer and a separate director. And I know, Cassie, you're short on time. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us about both of yours first? Okay. So for writer, I chose all of us as a writing team. Wow. And then (laughs) for director, I chose Paul Feig. Got it. Good choices. Paul Feig, I could definitely see as kind of being the modern uh, John Hughes. Oh my god, me too. I also chose Paul Feig. Cassie. <laughs> I mean, when that happens, we generally tend to go with that. But Matthew, who did you have for director? Let's do director first, I guess. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, I, I don't... That's fine. Y- you know, you know. I'm just going to acquiesce. I'm not, I'm not going to say my pick, because they both landed on the same one. So, Yeah. I mean, the only person that I had to go up against him is a director named Jeff Tomzik who he's directed a bunch of stand-up specials. And if you're a fan of stand-up, I know you're a fan of this guy, just saying. Um, but he's also directed a short called I'm Having a Difficult Time Killing My Parents. And I went with him specifically because he directed Tag. Tag was a lot of fun, and they have these big dramatic sequences of trying to tag the other person, and I think that's fun. But I think because both Cassie and Valerie said Paul Feig, we kind of have to go with Paul Feig. Yeah. That said, one of the things that we didn't talk about is use of CGI. And obviously there's a lot of subtle uses for CGI in just about every modern movie because it cleans up things and it makes stuff a lot easier for everybody. But I would say whatever kind of crazy Rube Goldberg devices we're able to have, that's what I think we need to have for this movie. Crazy Rube Goldberg devices. Rube Goldberg devices. Fair enough? Do you think that it would all be practical? Well, as practical as it can be. Obviously that that's having it all be practical is in fact impractical. But I want to see like the like crazy one thing knock all like all the dominoes fall knocking the iron onto Sam Richardson's head. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm there. So Valerie and Matthew, let's say it wasn't the four of us as a giant writing team uh, for this. Who did you have as your writers? This isn't right, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I'm gonna say a team of Larry David. Oh God. And John Mulaney. valerie who do you have i had so i i was like uh i was like oh paul paul feig was probably gonna be it but if i had to pick another one who wasn't it i was gonna just uh throw in like judd apatow just as the so you wanted paul feig to both write and direct yes ah got it okay all right so my writer i specifically wanted to have a female writer because i wanted there to be a, a female kevin and so I, I picked a screenwriter who the, the, the two movies of hers that I know about are her writing movies for that kind of star and are centered around little girls. And so I wanted a comedy director. So I think Paul Feig is perfect for this. But my writer is a woman named Lucy Alibar. Uh, she wrote Troop Zero and Beasts of the Southern Wild. And I thought she would write a good movie, especially a good movie centered around a little girl. And then we could have Paul Feig come in and do kind of like the zany comedic stuff. I'm a fan of this. Mm-hmm. All right. Then we've got our cast. Uh, let me take you all through it, and then we can get Cassie out of here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Home Alone 2021. Kevin is going to be played by Finley Rose Slater. Harry will be Ali Wong. Marv will be Sam Richardson. Kate, the mother, will be Maya Rudolph. Peter, the dad, will be Melissa McCarthy. Buzz, the brother, will be Mauricio Lara. 
Gus Polinski will be Craig Robinson with Lin-Manuel Miranda hanging out in the corner, getting some sleep, just being sad away from all his family. Uncle Frank will be Hannibal Burris and Aunt Leslie will be Tracy Ellis Ross. The Scary Neighbor will be Beth Grant. All of this will be written by Lucy Alibar and directed by Paul Feig. That is Home Alone. Are you all going to go see this movie? Yeah. I mean, if I have an executive producer credit, then yeah. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. All right. So before anything else happens, uh, please drop your plugs. Okay. Uh, you can find me online at uh, kasasi.com, C-A-S-S, wait, C-A-S-A-S-S-Y.com. And um, I have a podcast called The Ink and Paint Girls, where I interview women working in animation. That's amazing. And I'm honestly surprised that this is the first I'm hearing about it. You never asked. <laughs> you know what? Touche. Uh, Valerie, social medias and things to plug. Okay, uh, you can find my work at thisisvaleryv.com. I'm also on Twitter as this is Valerie V. I guess like with everything, with the world being what it is, I'm currently not uh, producing or uh, filming anything, but that should, uh, but in the future, um, I've got a couple of projects lined up. So I guess uh, be on the lookout for that on thisisvaleryv.com. Love it. Cool. Matthew. Yeah. If you want to find out more stuff that I've been involved with, feel free to check out uh, outerheavencreations.com. It's a production company that uh, I'm a part of and write and direct for. Uh, We have a drama and a horror short coming out pretty soon that I wrote, co-wrote and directed. Um, And then a couple of music videos on there that I directed as well. And social medias or no? Uh, yeah, and uh, social media is just, I only have an Instagram. I'm not really active on there right now, but uh, it's just Matthew Willits, at Matthew Willits, last name W-I-L-L-E-T-S. Uh, if you're interested in following me, I'm at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H on Twitter, or you can follow the podcast at Ideal Remake on Twitter or Instagram, but mostly Instagram, or join us on Facebook. Or, since this is going to drop the first week in January, if you want to really fulfill that New Year's resolution to go online and leave us a five-star review, hey, that'd be great. And it'd be a great way to start your year. Because 2021, it's going to be all right. Hopefully. We'll see. I don't know. It's going to be. It'll be fine. We'll see. We'll find out. We don't know. So I will end uh, with this. A, thank you all so much for being my writing group friends and then for also being guests on this podcast this was super fun what is your favorite quote from the movie home alone buzz your girlfriend woof (laughs) (laughs) that's the one i was expecting (laughs) 